Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar. Weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. What's the, uh, what's the internet mean? Get in, losers. We're building an ark. It is uh, raining like crazy in the Denver area. Roads are uh, the standing water. The, uh, the police department's locally in a lot of the metropolitan areas wanting to be a little careful out there. Easy to hydroplane. Uh, it gets stuck in the standing water. It kind of comes quickly. Flash flood warning is coming about. So uh, take it easy out there on the roads today, especially as you get ready to head down to uh, Ball Arena. If this continues for Game 2 of the Western Conference Finals tonight, Sandy, we have a chance to, to break it down. We'll have Aaron Anderson join us. We'll have, of course, Coach George Carl join us. We might have to mention him. At least check in on how he and J.R. Smith are doing after a little uh, I heard media about spat. That. Um, <laughs> yes. I, yes. I heard about Very that. entertaining. Yeah. Uh, the funny thing was I saw this. <laughs> we'll talk about it more and we'll talk about it with the coach who's already weighed in on it on social media. But I almost, knowing that you had the, the podcast with George today, the Truth and Basketball podcast that, that you record uh, with My Life Sports, that... I almost texted Danny yesterday when I saw J.R. Smith's comment on J.J. Reddick's podcast about how George Carl supposedly had no inbounds plays. And I wanted to almost see if we could put a lid on it and, and maybe if George hadn't seen it, uh, talk about it today. But, oh, no, no, the coach is too sharp. Um, he saw it, and he had some pointed words for, um, for J.R. suggesting that uh, they actually did have inbound plays, but J.R. may have been under the influence of certain substances that during that time period now are legal I within the state, but uh, actually uh, quite true. Uh, I may not have most, remembered the most of the damage was done a year later uh, in the first round series with Utah, but it is entirely possible that given his uh, volatility of the year before in the playoffs that uh, he, he was one of those guys. I think if you had had a lot of plays, or not very many at all would not have bothered to learn any of them. It, it, it didn't matter if you had 30 sets or three sets. Uh, number of plays could differ. It wouldn't matter. He wouldn't learn any of them anyway. Uh, and George Carl's actually. Moe, who did not have plays, Doug Moe had out of bounds plays, right. all kinds of out of bounds plays. And he's actually a very good coach coming out of timeout because they did out of bounds plays every coach on virtually every level has plays for out of bounds situations now whether they get executed well or whether the right person is throwing the inbounds pass that's another issue entirely yes but to to suggest first of all when it comes to uh, scholarly research on plays uh, J.R. Smith would not be my top nominee uh, to conduct such research anyway. I'd be more comfortable asking Chauncey Phillips about plays. Somewhat different in uh, approach, I, yes. I, just just throwing that out there. I'd be more comfortable asking Chauncey about whether there were any out-of-bounds plays or not. J.R. Smith, who even if he had known them, would have blown them up anyway. As he, uh, just kind of an entertaining did. thing because you know George Carl's actually been quite complimentary uh, over the course of his career about J.R. Smith's uh, ability as a basketball oh, player there, and there the was remarkable never, never athleticism. Any, any and, doubt, yeah, and uh, not to uh, 
belabor the whole Mark Jackson issue. The, the less said about Mark Jackson, the better. But uh, J.R. Smith was the subject of uh, a spat that Mike Evans and I had with Mark Jackson specifically. Oh, back in 2009 during the Western Conference Finals, when phony that he is, uh, Mark Jackson uh, suggested uh, to us at a shoot-around prior to Game 4 of that series here in Denver that because we were Denver talk show hosts, we'd be low to issue appropriate criticism in J.R. Smith's direction. And I simply pointed out to Mark Jackson that he was wrong about that, uh, more wrong than he could ever imagine. And then, of course, Mark Jackson being who he is, that night after J.R. Smith had been centrally responsible for blowing game three because he took a technical foul at the start of the fourth quarter, end of the third, start of the fourth, that resulted in a nugget lead of seven points being reduced before the quarter even began. Uh, Mark Jackson being who he is, that very night during game four does nothing but shower J.R. Smith with praise and love. Phony that he is. Well, it is it is interesting to watch how this is, is going for the Nuggets, and we'll, we'll set the JR stuff aside, uh, kind of entertaining little side spat there. We'll have Coach George Carlin to join us later. But Bruce Brown yesterday mentioned, it was very simple and very straightforward. He said, why do you think the Nuggets, uh, people keep underrating the Nuggets? And he said, they don't watch us. <laughs> yesterday, and, and I really don't want to pile on Lisa Salters, but yesterday, uh, Lisa Salters talked with Susie Schuster of... Uh, 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 on the Rich Eisen show. About I the heard Yoke. about that. And it's possible she was talking about not seeing him play in person. Oh, I think that's what she I suspect because she said, it. she said, quote, this is really the first time I've had a chance to watch him play. And I've got to admit, I've been sleeping on this guy. He's spectacular. He's ridiculously good and just unstoppable. And pointed out that she followed the, the, the stat lines and everything, but really didn't understand. And there is a, there is a part of it where you look at it and say, wait a minute. Lisa Salters has been with ESPN for over 20 years as, a, as an NBA reporter. Yeah, I and to find, say that she I followed through the it. stat lines, he's the back-to-back MVP. I, at, this is I, one I of those things. I know there are people who track these things, but she is part of that crew with Jackson and or Van Gundy mm-hmm. and Mike Breen. Right? And, and, and I want to point and out. And they've done Nuggets games Very competent. Very, very no, talented. No, no, no. Yeah. That that's not the issue. I, I question her powers of recollection, though. For all the Nuggets games they did this year, she wasn't a part of any of them? I, 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 I find I that hard to believe. Now, there are people who track these things more closely than I do, but... She is the number one NBA sideline reporter for ESPN. And Van Gundy uh, and Jackson are together for the most part during the playoffs, unless there are special occasions that would would pull them apart. But they've done Nugget games together this year. And, I, I mean, it's possible, I suppose, that she didn't happen to be assigned or she had another assignment or a football conflict or something like that and 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 was not assigned to those games. I don't pay yeah, I'm not close paying that attention, much attention to that degree, but 
but I, I would find it hard to believe because they did several games uh, that involved the Nuggets this year that she was not a part of any of them. So I, I question that to start. But in her defense, I would simply say this. She's a reporter, not an analyst. Correct. So what she thinks about Nikola Jokic's game is immaterial. Can she interview Nikola Jokic intelligently without having seen him play in person? Sure she can. She's Mm -hmm. a good interview. She's very good at what she does. So I would defend her to that extent. If an analyst said that, who hadn't done any Nugget games and said, I haven't bothered to watch him. Because her, this her year, job. I'll make a point, even if I wasn't working the game, to get to a game in order to watch him in person. If that's an analyst saying that, I would be concerned. Yeah. Uh, her job on the sideline is also to basically try to, I mean, that's being coordinated with with the truck and everything else and trying to find out just, you know, the timing and when you get the coaches, that sort of thing. I get that. And I do feel yeah, really strongly. she's an interviewer, not an analyst. Right. And I feel very strongly that she even though did not say it, her her point was, because she did talk about not doing a game in Denver in 10 years, that, that she meant that she had not seen him in person yet, right. which is a totally different right. thing. Not saying she never watched him on TV or anything of the sort. Right. Uh, but, but it was an interesting thing to say, and it sort of leads into the idea again of which, you know. But Ken- Bruce Brown is right, nonetheless. Well, Kendrick, the point, the point that Perkins, he makes is. Who almost single-handedly tipped the MVP conversation from Nikola Jokic to Joel Embiid, came back and said. Around to go in the playoffs, Nikola Jokic is the best player, basketball player on earth. It's as if it was the first time he actually started paying attention well, to him. Yeah. I mean, th- these guys are all about hot takes. And one day they'll say uh, the, the guy doesn't deserve the attention he's getting. No, Nobody ever says somebody deserves the inattention they're getting. <laughs> uh, they just don't pay attention to certain people. And I... I don't know how often Kendrick Perkins uh, sees Nikola Jokic in person. Probably not often. And he was long since retired by the time Jokic came into the league. Uh, but they're all about hot takes, and and they contradict yeah. themselves all all the time. If if you told Stephen A. Smith or Kendrick Perkins for that matter, you've never said a good thing about Nikola Jokic they could find dozens of clips in which they have right, and counter your argument that way. And then you could come back and play a dozen clips of where they seem to be demeaning him right, and diminishing his impact. So they change their positions all the time. The only good take is a hot take, and a hot take can be completely different by about 180 degrees from one day to the next with these guys. And they assume, perhaps correctly, that no one watches them all the time. And if they did, they wouldn't remember what the hell they said from one day to the next because it's always something different with a little bit of a twist. And it's funny because now you're seeing people who either didn't know about Jokic Mm -hmm. or didn't talk about him uh, very much act like now that they're seeing him more often, they've sort of discovered all these things mm-hmm. about what makes Nikola Jokic great 
things that we've known for the better part of the last four years. And I, I, I want to kind of illustrate how that works, too, because obviously, you know, Nuggets fans have felt this way for a while, and, and I understand why. Uh, at the same time, I, I think you hit it on the head, Sandy. One, the national media for a, a while now, at least in the television outlets, has simply decided that the, the personalities and the hot takes are far more important than actual reporting. They're leaving reporting to other folks. Or even serious analysis. Or even serious analysis. It's just analysis. about the more outrageous mm-hmm. and the more often you appeal to the right. lowest common denominator, the better you are in the eyes of your bosses. You can't go too far. No take is too hot Not on you have, ESPN. You have, to, you have to really get in a spot where it would be uh, particularly... Or on Fox. Yeah, you know, any, It's not just ESPN. Anywhere. It's all these and you know, it, it is um It is starting to pervade local markets as well. And it's it's interesting. I mean, I, I came up through ESPN. I, I My first job in sports was at ESPN. I was hired at ESPN to cover, matter of fact, the Denver Nuggets. And obviously this was a, a different time frame. This was in the, uh, you know, in the late 90s. And it was a different scenario in the way things were, were being handled. But it's also worth noting that since the, the directive is to just have hot takes and understand that most people won't, remember what was said even the day before you just cover the wall with proverbial spaghetti and you can point at whatever you'd like and say no we see we, we talked about that at some point knowing that you could contradict yourself the next day and no one's going to notice or care because people have the you know to quote ted lasso uh i guess the, the memory of a goldfish and it's also worth noting though that some of this is a change in the nba in particular because in david stern's nba David Stern, if he had his way, would have just had L.A., Boston, or L.A., New York every single year. If he, if he could pick it, he would. Uh, that's what he thought was going to work. It. Big markets, big stars, boom, boom, boom. As remember, a result, remember the time back in the day, because you you worked there, mm-hmm. um, there was an executive of ESPN who wasn't shy about telling people about their major league coverage. There's the Red Sox and the Yankees and, and the other teams might as well be the Washington Generals, right. quote, unquote. Yep, and, and that's the way it works. Now, the, the catch is some of that is driven by the, bro- the broadcast partners, and some of that was by the league itself. And David Stern, that was his NBA. And it's taken a generation to start to get out of that, where now all of a sudden the Milwaukee Bucks can win a title. The, the Denver Nuggets might be able to win a title. This was all but inconceivable for the most part. And, yes, I know, I can hear, I can hear somebody. I can feel the disturbance of the force where someone goes, what about the Spurs? Okay, I get that. If you happen to land, if you have a Hall of Fame center, and then you land a Hall of Fame power forward, and you have arguably the best coach in the history of professional sports. Right. Right. About a decade apart, number one overall draft picks, David Robinson in the late 80s, and, of course, Tim Duncan in the late 90s. Then, yes, you can string some together. But the Spurs are the exception to the rule in the small market, not the, you know, and I've loved some people. Actually, a couple years ago, Sandy told me, what about Golden State? Like, Golden State is San Francisco. Stop. It, it's Bay San, Area. Yeah, it's San Francisco. They're the Bay Area it's Warriors. It's a monumentally large uh, market there. But the NBA itself has had, a, has had a predilection towards promoting its big cities for a very long time. And it's starting to come out of it with Adam Silver's case. And I, I alluded to it earlier in this week that there is a part of me, and I'll, I'll say it in game two, Tony Brothers is officiating. And I don't like to get too particular about the, the referees, but it's a Tony Brothers game. This year, the Nuggets have been, I think, two and two with brothers, and the, the the foul calls have been pretty even on both sides. But you know, I've grown up here and watched this team. It, it, 
You're playing the LA Lakers. My expectation is the Lakers are going to get twice as many foul shots as the Denver Nuggets in game two because that's the way the league has always worked. Uh, it just is. And I understand there are Nuggets fans that, that probably feel the same way. And that also leads to the coverage because when the league itself kind of gave the indication that there are certain markets that matter and there are certain markets that don't, the old flyover city term, that, yeah, you would expect the broadcast partners to follow suit. If the league makes it clear, these are our big teams, cover these teams, well, of course they're not going to watch teams like the Denver Nuggets. And so for Nuggets fans who are stressing about this, you kind of have to let it go because the one thing that happens is you still win it on the court, and they have to pay attention. And that's what you're seeing right now. Guys like Mark Jackson or people like uh, Lisa Salters or Kendrick Perkins, they have to pay attention. And now they're either getting exposed or hopefully they're doing the work. But there are also people, keep in mind, like Jeff Van Gundy, who've been doing the work the whole time. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and know exactly what they're talking well, about. I, you know, I, I relayed the story earlier this year, and it actually uh, didn't reflect badly on Mark Jackson at all, but he had been doing a Nuggets game, and at one point, uh, and I told the story before, I'll condense it here, that he said that the, I've given up the argument that Bill Walton is the greatest passing big man of all time. Bill Walton because gave up that argument. Bill Walton years ago <laughs> exactly. gave up that argument himself. But that Mark Jackson acknowledged that he had seen enough now and that uh, Nikola Jokic was the best passing big man of all time. And a few days later, they were doing another Nugget game. This time, Van Gundy joined Mark Jackson. And Mark Jackson made the same statement all over again. And Van Gundy didn't miss a beat saying best passing big man how best passer, passer. at any position how about that no, now in the we're, history mm, of the game i mean i look i've been pressing nicole Jokic, but now you're getting into magic johnson territory better passer I, yep yep better passer john stockton better passer, better Steve passer. Nash. Better passer. oscar Robertson. he's in the same class jason kidd he's in the same class oscar wow. robertson is an all-time great without question. Oscar Robertson had the ball about as much as James Harden has the ball when he's not playing with Joel Embiid especially, but even when he is playing with Joel Embiid. I don't know all the time. So they're going to rack up assists. The thing I was impressed about Oscar, Oscar could get on the boards. Oscar was a big, strong First guy to ever average triple-double. Averaged sure. a triple double. First person to ever do it. Marvelous skills. Uh, but I, I, I don't think there's anybody any better as a passer than Jokic. I think there have been better scores in the history of the game. Certainly, there have been better rebounders in the history of the game. Certainly. But I agree with Van Gundy. I think you can at least make that case. And, uh, you know, uh, Oscar spent most of his career throwing passes when he did throw passes, and it wasn't all the time that he did. He famously told Jerry Lucas one time when Lucas made the mistake of saying in a huddle, I need the ball a little more than I'm getting it telling Lucas, if you want the ball, go get it off the boards. And Lucas was rather good at that, but obviously he wasn't going to get up off the boards and dribble up and shoot. Uh, that was Oscar's job, to uh, handle the ball and make those decisions distribute the basketball. 
But when you're throwing the ball to Jerry Lucas, largely during the first half of your career, and, uh, you know, a little more than half your career, and at the end of your career you're throwing the ball to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you're going to have a lot of assists. Sure. Sure. Uh, But it is fascinating to watch how this is going to be played out. And uh, the Nuggets have a chance to take a 2-0 Nikola Jokic isn't throwing the ball to Jerry Lucas or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. No. No other Hall of Famers. As a matter of fact, no other All-Stars even this year on the Nuggets roster. And uh, Nikola Jokic. Nobody who's ever made an All-Star team with the Nuggets anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. It's uh, it's a pretty remarkable set of situations here for the Nuggets. And they have a terrific opportunity to take advantage and take a 2-0 lead, which I guess would be holding serve. But at the same time, uh, you put a lot of pressure on the Lakers if you te- you win this game tonight. You say have to win four of the next five. So for the Nuggets, an immense opportunity uh, in Ball Arena tonight. Of course, we'll talk about it uh, over the course of the program and break it down uh, with Aaron Anderson and with Coach George Carl. But we do want your input as well. The call text line is 303-831-1340. Rui Hachimura did a terrific job on Nikola Jokic in game one. But now you let Jokic see it. When you're one of one, what does that mean? We'll talk about it next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. The Denver Nuggets have a golden opportunity to, uh, yeah, I guess you call it old serve, but, you know, when you're in the Western Conference Finals and you get up 2-0, I don't care where you played them, it's big. And so they have a chance to do that. The coaching matchup in this, and you and I were talking a little bit during the break. We do that, by the way, in case you didn't know. We didn't just sit on our hands and do nothing during the commercial break. We actually talk a little about about things, and sometimes we bring it into the program, but the coaching matchup is interesting because Michael Malone, I I think, is, quite frankly, uh, coaching the best I've ever seen him coach right now. Literally right now in these playoffs. But he still is a guy that uh, for the most part is rather predictable in substitution patterns and who he's going to substitute and who he's going to play. Darvin Ham has been more um, malleable. He's, he's been willing to, to more to willing to experiment, try different things. And yep. of course, look, it's easier to try different things when you're getting blown away, and then you could just pack it in, or you could try a couple of things. Our friend Matt Miller was quoted by Ryan Blackburn, I believe, mm-hmm. yesterday, and I think he said he, he, he said uh, something to the effect that uh, the Nuggets can do more things but the lakers have more guys to do some of those do things, things with with that's a fair point and and it's a, it's a subtle distinction but i think it it does sort of apply and the reason they have more guys is because he's willing to try more guys lonnie walker had not been playing much in the playoffs and all of a sudden uh he plays pretty well in a blowout situation and they get into a jam in the next game, which I believe uh, was was game four, or a couple of games later, a couple of games later. And all of a sudden, there's Lonnie Walker, and it's, you know, go go do it again in a, in a tight game that we really 
need to win, not a blowout where the game is gone. And he does okay. And all of a sudden, he's in the game in the fourth quarter, and he does his Kobe Bryant impersonation. And the fourth game of that series was the big game of that series because it was two games to one in favor of the Lakers at that point. If Golden State recaptures home court advantage, who's to say they don't win the series? It turned out that the Lakers won the game and then won the sixth game at home in rather routine fashion. But Walker changed the series, and he hadn't been, except for that garbage time stint, he hadn't really been playing. But he showed Ham something in that stint that made Ham think he can be useful. Mm -hmm. He can help us offensively in a way that nobody else on my bench can help us. And I, I'm I'm going to stake my season on this, my rookie season as a head coach. And I, I, I just can't imagine Michael Malone doing that. And I know the counter is that Michael Malone's 9-3 and three in the playoffs this year. Why change a winning game? And I agree with that I completely. Do too. I uh, do too. He, he's not going to change anyway, but he's certainly not going to change and shouldn't change when they're 9-3 and three in the playoffs. And everything has more or less gone according to plan. They haven't lost a home game. They've had home court advantage for every series. Uh, they'll continue to have that, especially if they play Miami <laughs> in the finals. If they play Boston, they won't have it, of course. But that series is kind of up in the air too, isn't it? Yep. After one game, and that time the road team won the first game. So I would say that that was one of those experiments the other night where he saw some sequences where Hachimura held up well. And, and the thing about it is Hachimura is not known for his defense. He's an offensive guy. The reason they traded for him was to give them punch mm-hmm. off the bench on the offensive end. Uh and, you know, if you're looking at their best defensive lineup, it's probably Davis, James, Vanderbilt, Reeves, and Schroeder. That's their best defensive lineup. It does not include Hachimura. But for this series, for a limited amount of possessions in certain situations, it's something now that the Nuggets have to think about. The Nuggets are talking as if they want people to believe that now that it worked for 17 possessions the other night, Hachimura guarding Jokic, that they'll use it 50 times tonight. They won't. I don't they may not even use it 17 times tonight, but it's in their back pocket, and I do believe him when he says, we have more things. Now, do they have more things that will work as well or better? I don't know. Probably not. But do they have other coverage schemes? Of course they do. Uh, even... Even Malone late in the game found a way to keep James from attacking Murray every single time and also uh, found a way to keep Reeves from uh, pouring in three-pointers one right after the other. There was a lot of stuff going on the other night with all the switching that put Murray late in the game when he was tired Uh, with the ear infection in an unfavorable defensive position. I would expect tonight, whatever the Nuggets game plan is defensively, as much as possible, keep Murray away from LeBron James. Yes. (laughs) Please. To to me, that's that's the thing. Uh, It it is, 
Jokic is a unicorn, okay? And they can throw all sorts of things at him. Teams have over the last couple of years. I'm not entirely sure that Jokic can be stopped. Now, the one thing that you could argue is Jokic may need, if they're going to leave a guy like Hachimura on him, just score on him. Uh, be a well, little, be a little more aggressive. But it's never one on one. See, right? And that's where when he says we have other ways, he's saying we may put Hachimura on him here and there, like we did the other night as the primary defender. But he's not playing one on one. But defense. to me, my worry is you, you, it depends. It's on not who even around Jokic. Is. It's Murray Lebron that is my concern for this game. Not really how they handle Jokic. I am. Con- I am. Firmly sold on Jokic's talent and ability to read the basketball game. Uh, I'm convinced he will find a way to be successful. As you pointed out, you gave the stats yesterday. Uh, Hachimura slowed him down. Not stopped him. Nowhere even close. Slowed him down from, by the way, an all-time performance in the first half. Slowed him down. It is the Murray-LeBron matchup that I think is the okay. biggest problem for the Nuggets. But, but here, here's the out. problem, the, the Hachimura. The, and the, the the scheme, which is more than just sticking Hachimura on Jokic and saying, good luck, son. Um, 17 possessions, 14 Denver points. With Davis, not as a rover, but as primary defender, 50 possessions and 76 Nugget points. Just saying. Malone is probably engaging in a degree of gamesmanship here. I would think so. But as a serious argument, come on now, you got outmaneuvered. You weren't expecting it. The players, Michael Porter most clearly said, we weren't expecting it. Good for them. They got one over on Mm -hmm. us. We weren't ready for it. We didn't, for all Malone's talk, the teams do like this all the time to us. Well, yeah, that's true. It's also true you weren't ready for that. And Porter Jr. wasn't telling any any stories that we didn't obviously know. He didn't say anything we didn't know. In fact, I appreciate uh, his forthrightness there and and saying what everyone saw. But that's not what Malone said. No, but that's That's not what Malone Well, okay. It's Coach Darvin Ham's doing his coach. It's also this fine line that we've seen. More often, the Boston Celtics go back and forth between swagger and arrogance. And to me, Malone is verging less on swagger and more on arrogance and making a proclamation. He was fooled. He wasn't ready for it. Now they are. He's right. Other teams have done it against them. And you know what? Philly's been pretty effective using Embiid as a rover and P.J. Tucker on Jokic. Pretty effective. And if you want to know why Embiid won the MVP, it's because he had a 50-point game late in the season, mm-hmm. and he also had a big game head-to-head against Jokic. And, and I, that's what people vote on. I personally it's, it's think that Anthony award. Davis is a better defender than Joel Embiid. I think that Davis, when he is healthy, is but the Embiid's best But Embiid's at his best man. when he's a rover mm-hmm. and he can block shots. That's right. his strength. But, I mean, you're doing that with a guy that's even more talented defensively, and I, I agree with you. There's a risk there, and and the Nuggets do have to, to live with it. I still think it's to their benefit that as the, as the Lakers were sort of feeling it out, they did tip their hand, and, and you give them an opportunity to know that this is a possibility, and we okay. saw it work it, It's us. a possibility, but you can have James serving as a rover, well, too. I, I get that, Sandy, I, but there are all you, you'd, kinds have, to, of you'd have to you admit that knowing a little bit of what the opponent might do early is helpful, right? I mean, of course it is. Well, they claimed to know about it the other night because other teams had done it. 
and they didn't by their players' own admission. And I I understand part of it is gamesmanship, but I think Ham's right too when he kind of scoffs at, at, at that and says, you know, we aren't limited to just two options in, in coverage. And I'll tell you this, I think what we said about game one, mm-hmm. we were wrong about, yeah. right, in terms of, it Didn't think it'd be that, that high scoring. Oh, I think this I was going to be. I think we'll see that game that we forecast for game one play out tonight. The over-under is uh, 227. And I I do not think that they're going to Not 258, that. huh? No, 227. And I, I don't think they'll hit it. I, I really don't. And, uh, you know, we'll see, obviously. But I, it feels to me like this is the one. It's the adjustment, right? I mean, this is the adjustment game. And... Uh, we'll find out exactly, you know, how that all breaks down. But I expect this to be much like Game Two of the uh, of the the Sun series, and the fact that okay, that they 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 came at each other throwing haymakers the whole game long, and now we're going to uh, change the way that we do it. But uh, yeah, I expect I expect a game with a, a well, lot less scoring. One one half was seventy two fifty four, and the other half was seventy two sixty, but. It was the Nuggets who had the 72 in the first half mm-hmm. and the Lakers who had the 72 in the second half. I don't think either team in either half will score 72 no. points tonight. I'll go out on a limb and say I don't think either team in either half will get anywhere near 72 points tonight. Game one is a bit of a feeling out process, especially since the Lakers are such a different team from the one the Nuggets encountered during the regular season. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's still a little bit of James and a little bit of Davis. Uh, quite a bit of them still around and they're healthy. But there are many other different characters on the Lakers and the Nuggets hadn't settled on the particular rotation that they're using now, but now that rotation is pretty similar from game to game. Even the order in which the three reserves come in remains almost completely unchanged from one playoff game to the next, from one series uh, to the next. So they're, they're both different. The Lakers have been changed more radically. And I, I often down through the years, most of the time, especially when the home team wins the first game, I I don't think it's huge. I I think it's more important for the home team to win the first game. Mm -hmm. Yes. And in the first game, you're feeling the other team out, to use that word again, experimenting. Mm-hmm. Now you get down to playing basketball tonight because you you know you've seen the best of the Nuggets and the Nuggets have seen the best of the Lakers. Yep, yep. And so, okay, you've tried a few things. Some worked, some didn't. Uh, how you incorporate what worked to what extent do you incorporate what worked that starts tonight that starts tonight nobody's making adjustments before game one right <laughs> you come with what you have Can't do the it. nuggets had energy in the first half with the game played at a certain pace what the Hachimura thing did I think as much as anything it slowed the nuggets down 14 points on 17 possessions as opposed to 76 on 50. 
Yeah. Uh, it slowed them down. And I think tonight, from the Nugget point of view, get Murray off chains defensively, but on offense, the Lakers are the worst transition defensive team in the playoffs. They are the best half-court defensive team in the playoffs. I know Malone is stubborn, but he can read those stats as easily as we can. We'll find out more as Game 2 and worst. tips off tonight, 6.30, down at Ball Arena. We'll continue to break this down. Uh, call text line, 303-831-1340. We'll be joined with Aaron Anderson, Coach George Carl, later in the program. Talk more about this game next on Miley Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Highly underrated Danny Bailey, our crack producer, on the what we used to call ones and twos. They're all digital. I'm looking outside. I see blue sky. Like a patch. Yeah, like a little bit. Yeah. Well, it is pouring. That's true. It's not that. But uh, Danny's on top of it, of course. Uh, Old soul with the musical choices. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't know it by his baby face, but the guy's the old soul with. The I music. was raised on classic rock. Good parenting, nice job, good job, Bailey family. Good work. Can't go wrong there. The Denver Nuggets and the Los Angeles Lakers have game two in front of them. Uh, as you pointed out, I love the rather uh, obvious, but actually needs mention. You can't adjust. Pre-game one. Yes. <laughs> nothing to adjust to. Nothing to adjust so, to. So the adjustments it's happen It's kind of like in tonight. baseball, when, and I know this happens sometimes, but I've never quite understood it. Your first pitch to a batter in an at-bat sequence being a change-up. What are you changing up from? Right. You haven't seen him. <laughs> you got to see him. Yeah. This is why in baseball, that's the third time through the lineup that kills you. They've seen you a couple right. times. They've yeah. seen you a couple times and, and uh, know your patterns. And so we'll see that in game two. But uh, one of the things I wanted to focus on, Sandy, a little bit, is the the three point defense, which over the course of the year, the Nuggets were outstanding. When at, they at once were point. awful, they are now outstanding. They were they were elite uh, among the very best in the league in three point defense. I think they need to be aware because the Lakers are one are not actually a particularly good three point shooting team. Two, no. they don't even shoot that many three pointers, and, but, and neither do the Nuggets. As, as right. a matter of fact, but the Lakers, you're right. The Lakers are 26th during the regular season in three point attempts. Mm-hmm. They're just they're really not a three-point shooting five. team. They don't rely on it. But they can do it. And and even when it's a guy that's not a, a, a great three-point shooter like Anthony Davis, you have to respect that he can. He hit one the other can, night. He hit one, one in 2020 pretty well. Uh, I think you can remember game. that one, too. Yeah, but uh, LeBron James is 0-4, and he's not the three-point shooter that he used to be. But, yet, no. of course, it's LeBron James. If he has the ball, you better respect it. We know that, that Schroeder can do it, two for two. Uh, Austin Reeves had five. Uh, Lonnie Walker had two in the, in game one. The Nuggets need to be aware of that. And obviously, you're you're primarily concerned, I think, with LeBron James, who had a lot of success, especially when he's paired up on Murray. We had to break that down. About the bully ball, which is basically what LeBron did. He'll just, you know, just take, just take guys to the rim whenever he wants. And you're worried about that with Anthony Davis to an extent, too. But 
the Nuggets need to be more cognizant that the Lakers are not unwilling to shoot the threes, and they are a heady team. Because LeBron James is on there, because Anthony Davis is on there, Darvin Ham, I think, is doing a very good job as a, a first-year head coach. And they have they have smart players. Schroeder is a smart player. Austin Reeves is a pretty smart player. Hachimura is a smart player. Oh, yeah. Jared Vanderbilt, we know him here, smart player. Yep. Lonnie Walker seems to be a pretty savvy player. He well, knows his spots. He played for Greg Popovich once upon a time, and there isn't a player who plays at all for Greg Popovich. Yeah, you don't get off the bench. Uh, without being a smart player. <laughs> right. You, you just don't play. The, if, um, if you don't play, so smart, you have you to play. be aware that they will take advantage of of what you give them, and I think the Nuggets have to be aware that that after the first game, the, part of the adjustment is you know what, the Lakers are willing to put it up there. They shot twenty four of them, hit forty five percent, and you right. have to be aware Almost of forty six. And yeah. a lot of that, by the way, in the second half. Yep. And the Nuggets are going to have to tighten up that defense. On the bright side, we know they can. They're one of the league's best. Yeah. But. If they do, what is the risk of what they give up? Do you give up more to Davis, or do you run the risk of James right. being able to take guys off the dribble, especially because besides for Aaron Gordon, there's no one that can match his right. size. Although, give right. Michael Porter That's Jr. It. credit, a couple times was able to he actually did. get He did okay. LeBron had to have to he did okay. it, but... Uh, LeBron, but, but again, that's one of those things you really have to gonna be judicious to, about. It. You do, and he's going to get to do what he wants. I think in this game, this feels like one of those games where LeBron is going for thirty-five points to me. Well, LeBron got knocked uh, by the very fine columnist uh, Bill Plaschke of the Los Angeles Times. Uh, I he only went twenty-six, twelve, and nine yesterday. No, no, <laughs> no. But he, he was specific about it. I don't agree with Bill Plaschke on this, but he mentioned the late game turnover from LeBron as something that can't happen and my retort to that is well i think the game was gone by then he also criticized him for taking the three-point shot saying correctly that lebron is not a three-point shooter but it spun in and out it wasn't a brick if you want to see a brick the last desperation heave in the final seconds when it was 132 126 clanged off the side of the rim that was a brick Right. The one he took was a good shot, and when Darvin Ham got asked about it after the game, he says, you got to be kidding. I trust LeBron James to make the right decision in that situation, and it was a good shot. And Plasky's point was, well, he could have driven to the basket like he'd been doing the whole fourth quarter and maybe gotten fouled and made a three-point play that way. Well, come on. that that's That's counting on a lot of variables that you can't necessarily control. You can control whether you decide to drive or shoot the three, but whether somebody fouls you, that's not totally under your control. And even you make the shot, I, I mean, how much resistance is there going to be? Is somebody going to come over and contest, even if it isn't the man who's guarding you specifically? There are a lot of things. So I, I thought it was unfair, but I thought his, his overall point was that, he's got to be more aggressive earlier in game two. That most of the fourth quarter was okay, but he kind of waited and let the game come to him. And the Lakers don't have that luxury in this series anyway, not against a team as complete and as dangerous as Denver. They He doesn't have the luxury of waiting. So I, I think if there is an individual to watch tonight in the first quarter, I think it's James uh, because the other guys are going to play as aggressively or uh, passively or what uh, they're going to play the way they usually play. 
LeBron can be aggressive, even at age 38. Sure can. He might have to pick his spots mm-hmm. a little more, but it's very important in the first quarter tonight for LeBron to be aggressive, and I do agree with that. And you're going to have to weather that storm, I think, because one of the concerns is, I think, the Davis-Jokic matchup. How about 10 points in the first quarter right. over-under? If it's under 10, good for if the Nuggets. Over, if it's over 10, it's going to be a basketball game. Yeah, there, there could be challenges there. And so that's that, I think, is what's... Uh, interesting, because you look at the, in the, at least in game one, I think it's safe to say, and I'm not surprised, that Jokic and Davis are both going to get theirs, but they, to a certain extent, will offset one another, depending on the game. And I think Jokic is going to be better on the whole. I don't think he has the ups and downs, and I think he's just going to be better. But you know that there's a, a floor there for for Davis that the Lakers can count on that kind of splits it. I don't believe the Nuggets truly, with all due respect to, to Aaron Gordon, truly have a counter for LeBron James. There's not a way to just say, this is how you stop LeBron. It's going to take a consistent team effort. He will attack you in a hundred different kind of ways. And that's just the, the reality of things. And I think the early part of this game is going to tell because I do think LeBron's going to go out there and do what he's done so many times over the course of his career and try to put his stamp on the game early. And the Nuggets defensively, depending on how aggressive he is, they may have to adjust uh, not only the individual they assign to LeBron defensively, but to how they cover overall, what what their, their scheme is. Because, boy, I didn't see a lot of help for any of the LeBron defenders, particularly mm-hmm. Murray the other night. I'm Did worried you? about it. I'm, I'm concerned. No, I didn't not. see a lot of help. I, I didn't see a lot of help. When and he I did, know the Nuggets aren't late. a shot-blocking team. But, uh, again, LeBron's going to play more than Aaron Gordon plays. He it, it, it just is. So mm-hmm. there are going to be times in the game where you'll have to have somebody other than Aaron Gordon on LeBron. It, it, it's simple math. I mean, LeBron's going to play 40 to 42 minutes, and Gordon's going to play 35 to 40. We'll find out how this all shakes out. It's going to be really intriguing because, yes, I am. Uh, the, the early part, I think, will tell. Much like it did in this in this game one where the, the Nuggets just uh, basically, you know, took the old proverbial glove off uh, challenging someone to duel and slapped him across the face and the Lakers didn't know what to do with it. I expect the Lakers to come out with that exact same energy. And you can bring the big bet energy this summer with Superbook Sports. Superbook Sports is the most trusted name in sports betting. And right now, use promo code MILEHIGH to score up to $250 with their first bet bonus. Win or lose, they'll match your first bet up to $250 with the promo code MILEHIGH. So simply visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions or download the Superbook Colorado app in the app stores. Enter the promo code MILEHIGH and you'll get $250 courtesy of Superbook Sports. Gambling problem? Call one 800 522 4700. Haven't had a chance to uh, talk to Arn Anderson in a little while. One of our uh, very versatile friends covering sports in the Denver market. We'll remedy that. He'll join us next on Mile High Sports. So what's deep inside, frightened of- 